0: What makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
1: Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
0: Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you.
1: I could stay here forever.
0: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to Episode 398 with my guest, Caitlin. Um, Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, the show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist that's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, the website for this show is mental pod. Uh, com and Metal Pod, are, it, Metal Pod is also the handle. You can follow me out on Twitter and uh, Instagram. Uh, this is the third installment of the episodes I recorded recently in uh, Ireland. This one was recorded in Dublin. and um, The episode that was recorded last week with Michael Core, I forgot to do a shout out for a project that he is doing that some of you guys might want to participate in. And I'll just read what what he wrote cuz I I think it's a great idea. Uh he wrote, I want to make a collection of draft emails. A few years ago, I mistakenly thought that I had sent all the drafts in my drafts folder. When I had recovered from the fear of this and realized that I had not done it, I began to wonder about the imperfect potential held in that drafts folder. The word draft is derived from derived from the word imperfect. And for the collection to be meaningful, I need people to dig into their drafts folder and draw out the ones that are vulnerable, exposing and honest in their imperfection, the ones that they never sent for whatever reason. People who send them to me need to trust me with them, which is asking a lot from someone who they have never met. But as a collection, I think that they could say something important about us and what it means to be human and imperfect. I want to share that book uh, share that in a book and an exhibition. And people can send them to uh, Michael at the following email address, 100drafts at com. Because he, he wants it to be, obviously, he wants to collect 100 of these. Um, so it's uh, 100, the numbers, 100drafts at com, And I'll, I'll post that on the website as well. I can't wait to... Uh, to see some of those um this is a happy moment filled out by <laughs> a guy who calls himself this gin tastes like your mom's toes i don't even i don't even want more details y- you had me at gin uh i just crossed off the third and final task on today's to-do list there wasn't anything particularly difficult on the list, but there wasn't anything really fun on it either. Just tasks that a normal adult would do on any given day and not make a big thing about it. But I feel that because of my history of severe procrastination, sharing this might help make my next to-do list more achievable too. I fucking love that because this to me is a great example of what forward momentum looks like it's baby steps it's like you know we we don't pull ourselves out of some pit of not wanting to live and suddenly we read a book and we're having sushi with the dalai lama the next week he's a big fan of sushi why did i pick that of all the things could play bocce ball with the dalai lama I actually kind of like the idea of the Dalai Lama in a pool playing chicken with people. And he would have to be on top because you don't get on the Dalai Lama's shoulders. And he, and he can punch. A lot of people don't know that about him. Oh, ferocious. Yeah. <laughs> but I love this this email because those are the little victories that help build our self-esteem. This, you know, I've mentioned before that uh, BetterHelp is a sponsor of this show and a really important sponsor. And this is an email that I got from somebody that has something to do with BetterHelp. And I wanted to read it um, because I think it's a great uh, example of the way that therapy can can help us. And it's uh, an awful moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Terrible Husband 1012. Uh, and He writes, a few months ago, my wife confronted me, letting me know she felt unwanted, lacking attention, and that she generally felt no love for me or for me. Over the next weeks, I worked to get into individual therapy with better help, thanks to the podcast. Uh, I've been helped to realize my mind lives too much in the past and future and not in the present. I have not stayed in the moment enough to cherish, appreciate, and truly love my wife. These realizations were crushing to my ego and perception of my own reality. My heart dropped, but I've been able to understand myself more deeply. Using this newfound understanding, I tried to change for the better in day-to-day life, make my wife feel love through words, actions, and thoughtfulness. Over these two or so months, I have near I have nearly constantly fought anxiety, helplessness, and depression from the fear or loss and waiting too long for my mental health. Some of my meditation and mindfulness practices have got me more in the moment to the point of realizing my wife started saying, I love you again, and inviting me to be with her. The anxiety, fear, and depressed thoughts still persist, but this potential tragedy has given me the push i needed to be a better person deal with my mental health and in the end give me the drive to succeed in relearning how to love that's so beautiful if you've never tried better help and you're interested go to betterhelp.com slash mental make sure you include the slash mental part uh, so they'll know you came from the podcast and fill out a questionnaire they'll match you up with the Betterhelp.com counselor, and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you, and you need to be over 18. Uh, and then finally, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself the prodigal sunshine. And she writes, At my 10 year high school reunion, I ran into one of my former teachers who, in my day, had been the most feared and respected teacher on the entire faculty at my school. She had demanded so much of us. The workload for her class was unbelievable, and I spent many a night nursing panic attacks over the seemingly insurmountable load of studying she expected from us. She was also super critical of kids who dated or socialized too much. School is for studying, she'd yell. She was determined to send us all to the best colleges and thoroughly prepare us for the experience. She used to scare the shit out of me. At the reunion, I was excited to tell her about my post-high school academic and career successes, to show her that I've done everything she'd ever dreamed for her students. Her response? She said, those accomplishments are impressive, but at some point, you'll need to find a husband. There's a part of me inside that I don't want anyone to know about because it's weird and gross and lame and people will hate me. I'm here with Caitlin, and we're using a pseudonym. Uh, we're here in Dublin at her uh, her apartment, and um, we were going to try to record at my hotel room, and I think halftime at the Super Bowl might have been more quiet than <laughs> the place that I'm staying. A tip for anybody traveling, really read the reviews of the hotel you make a reservation at, and uh, sometimes the people that like it just might be people that drink beer.
1: Or on hen parties.
0: <laughs> and what?
1: Or on hen parties.
0: What's a hen party?
1: A, like a stag, but for women.
0: Oh. Do, um, we call um, them sorry, bachel- bachelorette parties. Yeah, party. sorry.
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So
0: being over here, I never know if I'm hard of hearing or it's a phrase I'm not familiar <laughs> with. And I'm always kind of afraid uh, of looking stupid either way.
1: It's probably a phrase. We tend to say things a little bit differently over yes. here, so apologies for that.
0: So we got in contact with each other um, a couple of months ago, and it's, it's quite a lot in your history. is suicide attempt, psychosis, um, yeah. physical and mental abuse as a kid. Yeah. What other fun am I leaving out?
1: Uh, neck injury... Uh, What's the
0: coordination thing where you, the.
1: Uh, oh, yeah, where I see things in mirror image. So yes. I have an issue with, uh, well, cycling, which my boyfriend is still trying to teach me how to do. It's not working. Um, R- riding a bicycle? Yeah, so because the hand-eye coordination there, or like my legs will just decide to go backwards, or they just won't actually function in the correct way. It takes a lot of thinking, oh, really? but when I overthink, then it goes horribly wrong. So like I've I've already got scars on my ankles from like trying to do it and I've chipped that ankle trying to do it. So not going so well, but a cool part of it was when I was a kid I used to be able to write from uh right to left. That's the Yeah, right to left and upside down. Um but that also came with the downfall of finding it really difficult to spell unless things were upside down.
0: And what is it called?
1: It doesn't actually have a name uh we're naming it dyspraxia and dyslexia combined, mm. so dyspraxia is because I have the physical movement issues with it, so like i spatial awareness is a problem, then, as I said, the uh coordination mm. is an issue, but uh I don't think we actually have a proper name for it
0: so when you were a kid and i'm not being facetious but were, were, when you were a kid were you just labeled as clumsy and dumb
1: yeah pretty much um yeah i had you know i had to get flashcards to take home um during the summer i didn't go out a lot when i was a kid because my mum um would teach me english and how to spell and all of that Um so yeah i was kind of just seen as uh stupid um and unable to learn um, but I guess I just learnt in a different way, so kind of learned that as I got older, but obviously the stigma of that kind of stuck around and kind of left me with a little bit of low self esteem i'd say give me give me
0: uh some seminal moments from childhood or adolescence if you can if you can think any that kind of paint a picture
1: um well, those ones were basically I, I either was playing computer games or I was being uh, shouted at by my mother while she was trying to teach me things but I couldn't understand them um until she found out that I could read things upside down and then it was a completely different story. Um How so? In that she was like, oh, this is the problem. And it, it wasn't so much that I wasn't intelligent. It was that I had to be taught in a different way so she took extra time. That said, my mother didn't have a very good... Uh, sense of patience and I don't either, I take that from her Um, so uh, she would get very very angry Um, so like a lot of our childhood was my mother being quite angry and my father when he was home because he would work at the standard 9 to 5 but he'd leave at 7 so he'd be gone before we'd go to school and then we'd only be awake for an hour when he was home but generally he'd be quite angry as well um so uh, uh,
0: go ahead finish your thought.
1: Oh, okay, so that was that's one of the kind mm-hmm. of memories um and then
0: would there be uh in what way would they express their anger or lack of uh patience?
1: Uh so my mother uh she would do a lot of screaming. We also got hit with the wooden spoon. Um if you put your hands in the way that was the worst because then you got it in the wrists. Um, she'd chase you around with a wooden spoon. One time she got so angry that she broke the toilet seat. She just went into the bathroom and just smashed the toilet seat with her fists. Another time she broke a hairbrush across the back of a chair that my sister was sitting on. Wow! Um, one time when I she found out that I wasn't eating my lunch because I didn't like my lunch, um, and I was a very skinny kid, uh, she refused to feed me and didn't talk to me. And so my sisters had to... Uh, well, one of my sisters got me uh, sweets because we were quite young. I think I was about six. (laughs) So my sister would get me sweets um, before school and that was my lunch. Um, And then I'd bargain with other kids, like you can use my ruler if I can have some of your sandwich or something. (laughs) Um, So that went on for about a week, but then that was fixed. Um, My dad was more shouting and threatening. Um, He did threaten me with a belt once because I bent an umbrella. We had like a really nice umbrella with those long metal bits at the top and I got caught in a grate and I bent it and he threatened to hit me with the belt, but he didn't. Thank God I just got sent to my room. Um, And then just the general shouting, like it would start from you didn't wipe down a surface well enough. So you would get screamed at to the point where, you know, it would devolve into everything you've ever done is wrong. Everything like you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't exist. Like it's you're the worst person that could ever exist. And this would literally be from wiping a surface down incorrectly.
0: What What do you think was going on with uh, your parents?
1: I know my mum. Uh, my mum had a pretty difficult childhood. Um, she dealt with quite a lot in her childhood, and also she was having uh, what we now believe um, was. Hormone issues mm-hmm. and also, like, some like depression, I'd say, as well. Um, quite a lot of depression, actually, because she gave up her job for six years to mind us, but she never wanted kids. And that was something she reminded us of quite often. So, um,
0: was that the Christmas present?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Who needs coal when you've got unwanted uh, <laughs> chats? But yeah, I got once when I came in, she was like, You were a mistake. Wait, not a mistake, an accident. Because um, that's slightly less bad. Um, but yeah, uh, then my dad just had a very kind of like Irish childhood is the only way I can describe it, like in of like the 50s. So, you know, he was the youngest male of uh, four kids and, you know, seen and not heard. Uh, You know, emotions aren't a thing, so Mm -hmm. you cry, you get screamed at. uh, So, like like,
0: Dickens with crew cuts.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and a lot of cigarettes. So, yeah. Um, But, yeah, they both had a rough time. And so, I suppose when we came along and money was tight when we were young, um, yeah, it was just stressful, really stressful.
0: Have uh, any of them gained any ground in dealing with their issues or gaining tools to cope with their anger or
1: no like me and my sister my eldest sister because i'm I'm one of three um have talked about maybe saying to my mother or my father maybe you should go and try some counseling because both of us have done it and my middle sister as well um and just the thought of even saying that to them is no like there's you know they don't have a problem they, I don't think they... If think you would just f-
0: act right, I wouldn't be angry.
1: Exactly, yeah. Everything is somebody else's That's That problem. seems
0: to be like the biggest pothole that any kind of ground being gained in a relationship falls into is just somebody saying, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine.
1: Exactly. Like you're the problem.
0: And, and there's really no way of... Moving them from that, other than um, cutting contact, setting boundaries, limiting contact. Um, but it seems like trying to change them will often backfire because then it'll be like, well, now I'm never going to therapy because then I'm doing what, you know, my kid, my dumb, clumsy kid wants me to do.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, you can learn at every age. And I think if you've been going if you find yourself in a certain point where you haven't continued to learn, then something's wrong. You should always be learning. And definitely when I think people are recognizing that with like mental health uh, problems, that everybody's got something and everybody needs to sort something out. Um, Yeah. And especially like, especially parents, I'm just seeing it with people that I know that have kids. Like you just, even if you didn't have a problem before or it's, it was a small problem. It's going to be automatically like put in a magnifying glass and made a hundred times bigger because you're seeing it being reflected at you all the time. So I really think people need to. It should be a, a thing that we're taught in school.
0: It really I, there's almost no emotional education uh, yeah. growing up. But from what I understand, there are a few schools uh, now in the states where that is beginning to change, and and they're beginning to to teach kids uh, emotional. Recognition and uh, coping skills, which is really I- encouraging. Would they be
1: private schools, or
0: I don't know. I think one of them was a uh, public, was a public school, um, but that that's encouraging to to know that uh, maybe tries. somewhere, yeah, someone's trying. Because it's not about you were wrong. It's just like, do you want to have some more peace in your life? I mean, exactly. isn't that why we work and have relationships and all that other stuff? Is to just feel good to. Yeah. To be able to relax. The other thing I wanted to, to comment on too is you. You know, you talked about your mother having depression, and a lot of people don't understand that anger also almost, well, not almost always, but often goes with depression. I used to think that depression could only be expressed as sadness,
1: yeah, or uh, inertia. So many different levels. Like, there's so many different parts to being depressed. Like, my mother obviously was quite angry when she was depressed for a certain point when. During my depression, I was quite angry, but now I'm like completely numb. I just don't have emotions anymore. So it, it is. It's a very strange thing that needs to be more understood. It's not just oh, I'm sad at all. It, in fact, that's the smallest part of it—the sadness.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you find it? Do you do you believe that your coping mechanism was to begin to uh, numb yourself so that you, so you wouldn't feel? anything.
1: When I was a kid, if I like hurt myself or if something, you know, I was upset in any way, it didn't matter what kind of upsetness, whether it was physical pain or whatever, um, I would cry, but I would also get shouted at to not cry. Um, And that would include like if I just came in and I was crying and I needed help with something, it was like, stop crying and then tell me what the problem is. So I think it was just always... Something that I did I I even find it now If I get into a point Where I'm going to cry I hold my breath And just Push it all down Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been bottling Things up for years And I recognize That I've been bottling Things Mm -hmm. up Because I'll always have An explosion Of emotions At some point
0: Do you have a special Tiny room in your stomach Where you pack it all down
1: I think so It's like a slight Bulge to the left Yes There's no amount Of working out That can really get rid Of that Sad sadness
0: (laughs) It It is mind-blowing to feel emotions once we begin to un ourselves. I, I never knew what I was feeling until I began to feel something new and I would think, oh, so this is what joy feels like yeah. or this is what safety uh, feels like. You know, not that my home wasn't 100% un- unsafe, but they're, you know, getting back to therapy, they're, are breakthroughs often in therapy or support groups where you can experience an emotion that you always thought was off the table for you, or that you felt just a minor version of it, or or that something that didn't exist that wasn't for you?
1: Yeah, like uh, don't get me wrong, my childhood wasn't bad. Like I, the, my parents gave me everything in the monetary sense that they could have, and everything emotionally that they could even though they didn't have much to give but yes what you were saying i've lost it now
0: uh about experiencing an emotion that you never had before you don't realize it exists until you until you feel sometimes you don't realize how fucked up something was until you feel the opposite of it yeah, often at a late age as a result of therapy or support groups.
1: Yeah, like I've done support groups and I've done therapy, and there has been some moments of emotion, but I don't do small emotions. I only do big. Had a girl. <laughs> go home, Go what? A, go hard to go home.
0: Yes. Do you um, do you go upstairs and change into something?
1: <laughs> my sportswear.
0: Flowing something <sighs> flowing with a. a Maybe
1: <laughs> some headwear. Yeah. No, I, I just like I tend to, if I'm angry, like I'm very rarely angry and very rarely happy, um, very rarely anything. So if you see me angry, it's leave the room. Mm-hmm. and But more than likely, I will leave the room because I don't like to be angry around other people. Mm-hmm. And I don't like to hurt people because I will. There's physically been, or, or verbally? Uh, there's been twice where I have uh, verbally destroyed someone, and the other time physically uh, hurt somebody. Can
0: that I didn't you want to. can you describe those events to us?
1: Yeah. So one, uh, a lot of alcohol had been taken. Uh, my friend disappeared. Um, I was really worried about her.
0: You you had drunk a lot of alcohol? Yeah, okay. I'd
1: had a lot of alcohol. Uh, we all had. It was a okay. college party. And she disappeared and I couldn't find her. And I was so panicking about not being able to find her. Like I was with like all of our friends, but I thought something had happened to her because I'd seen her crying earlier in the night. And then when she turned up, I just lost it. My worriedness turned into just pure rage and I just pushed her and she hit off a table and fell down and was quite injured. Um, And then we just never were friends again after that, even though she was my... Best friend, So that's the alcohol not quite working for me again. Um, Did did you
0: uh, say anything to her afterwards?
1: Yeah, like I tried to get back and said that like I was so sorry and everything. And she was like, you don't treat someone like that. So I was like, okay, okay, yeah, that's fair enough. And she was like, you can't see that you have a problem. You have a problem. And at that time, I couldn't see that I had a problem.
0: But but Um, now you do believe that you have a problem with alcohol.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been
0: sober for a little
1: bit? Uh currently sixteen days. Good for you. Yeah. I bro I had thirteen days and then I broke it, but uh that was because of a work party. I shouldn't have done that either. Um and yeah. w-
0: what were some of the other uh incidents?
1: Uh so the other one was me and my sister that lives in America don't get on that well. Um and it's something that I've tried to distance myself. Think it's better for both of us that we're we don't talk that often. Um and she was over for my other sister's hen party and she said something to me which I can't 100% remember what it was but it was basically insulting um, an experience that I'd had from what I remember from when I'd lived in London um, basically saying like that that was nothing and what was I and with the alcohol again um, and just anger took over and I basically just turned around and I don't even remember what came out of my mouth but she... Just broke down for the whole night. She was just crying and tried to punch me at one point. Um, I had to take care of her. She then vomited all in the taxi that we were in. I paid for that. And then she just wouldn't talk to me. And I can't 100% remember. But isn't that
0: every bachelorette party?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I suppose so. (laughs) But uh, I must have, like, this girl does not cry.
0: Yes, no. Of course, I'm, yeah. I'm being uh, stupid. Um, let's talk. Let's talk about the suicide attempt and what led up to that. Unless you feel like there's something more organic to touch on before we we get to that.
1: Uh, no, like, so I had been. I've, I suppose the progression of being depressed for me. I had been depressed. I'd say from twelve. And I told my mum, there's something not right with me. And she said, oh, it's just hormones. Um, And then when I was 19, I went to the doctor and said, look, I'm I'm obviously depressed. Um, I just had the sadness part of that. I had been bottling things up for a while because I had dealt with other family stuff. Um, And he put me on the pill, like the, you know, the birth control control pill. pill. Yeah. And so... To even out my hormones mm-hmm. didn't work Um in fact it made me crazier and i got into a lot of like self-harming behavior um
0: are you comfortable being more specific yeah
1: so i would uh self-harm uh sorry cut myself mm-hmm. uh usually on my legs because that was you know i didn't need anybody to see it it was for True. my own kind of thing um it would make me feel better it would be like a release of all the tension that i was obviously mm-hmm. holding inside that little bubble of sad sadness mm-hmm. and my left um so and
0: would you fantasize about it and and tell yourself i i shouldn't do that i don't want to do that uh and then no, compulsion. i never showed.
1: i never thought that so the- i wouldn't do it i just i i was like well it's not hurting anybody else okay nobody can see it i don't generally show off my legs anyway like it, mm-hmm. this is something that i'm doing to stay alive at the moment um, because I was fantasizing a lot about killing myself, like a lot, like pretty much all the time. Um, I did at one point when my parents weren't in the house and it was summer holidays from college, sit in front of a, uh, box of pills that my mother had had when she was ill and laid them all out. And then the phone rang and I think it was my grandmother or something. And I just didn't do it then. So I was like, okay, so that was a while. So that was... That, that instance happened when I was about 15. So then 19 start college, get really depressed, uh, I don't know what's going on, I've like lost it completely. I had injured my neck at that point, so I was also addicted to painkillers. um, And I was just, that probably didn't help with the old mental stability at all. <laughs>
0: you think? Um, <laughs> so what had happened to your neck?
1: Uh, I was doing yoga and I was doing a shoulder stand and I fell from a shoulder stand and uh, gave myself whiplash, but I didn't get it treated for two years. Mm. And then by the time I did, I had atrophied muscle and nerve damage and there was a whole load of other issues. So I had like physio for five years after that. And I was chronic pain. So I'm still out. Um, But yeah, then, so quite depressed. Uh, Neck pain, college. Neck pain, college. Uh, relationships not working, having issues with my family, general life stuff that obviously I just couldn't deal with because I just wasn't emotionally there. Um, I did go to a counselor at that point. I talked through some of my family stuff with her. It didn't really work. Um,
0: How was the healthcare uh, in, in seeking it uh, in this country? Was it?
1: Uh, I didn't want anybody to know what was going on, and it was just a. Uh, it was just a college counsellor but then she did defer me onto a um, mental health uh, facility Mm -hmm. who then without me even knowing they started giving me a tour around the place and they were like sign here and I was like what am I signing to and they're like you're going to stay here for a while and I was like no I'm not and I left Um, so I don't think the um, mental health services here are great Um, I've been to let's see three counsellors one was kind of okay Oh, and a psychiatrist as well, mm-hmm. but he cost 120 euro per visit that I was going to, and he was trying to do CBT with me, and it just it just felt like a waste of my money, and that he wasn't interested, and I was just like, yeah, no, I'm just going to not do this anymore. And I went to a different counsellor after that. But yeah. So, and, was,
0: and was that next counsellor any good?
1: Yeah, he was okay, and then I lost my job. That was more recently. Okay. Um, but yeah, so... I went to that psychiatrist because of the attempt on my life so what happened with that was I had been depressed for about four years straight I just did not see any coming out of it 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 was and I was losing jobs I was losing friends I couldn't do anything and I had finally gone okay I'm gonna go on antidepressants I went on we can't. We don't name them. No, no, you can. Uh, I went on Sertraline, which I think is like Zoloft. Okay. Um, I I had tried Lexpro before that, but I was having trouble sleeping on it. Um, so I did that. And I was really
0: hoping that your pills uh, had Gaelic names.
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, no. We all have the same American manufacturing <laughs> companies. But we don't on, have them advertised. I went on
0: Hagemah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um no so i uh i i tried that and then with my lovely history of uh substance abuse i decided to self-medicate because the dosage he gave me wasn't enough i felt so i brought myself up from 20 milligrams to 100 milligrams but wasn't quite taking them the way i should because i was just like meh whatever just like pop one like a Smarty or something. um. So I was doing that and then I was drinking an awful lot of alcohol, like a lot um, by myself with other people, um, with my family, just lots like every day. Um. Then we went to America to visit my sister and I really liked it there. I really, really enjoyed it in Seattle and then Washington State in general. Mm-hmm. And we went to stay in at uh, Washington State Forest, and we stayed in this amazing wooden cabin and I like i my family went off like I was very much by myself, and um, like i because i isolated myself, I told my family I just wanted to sleep for this because I was in a really hard job. I was waking up in the middle of the night anyway to check my emails from Ireland just to make sure that everything was okay with the film that I was working on um and Yeah, I was just really burnt out and we were drinking every night and so we were in this amazing cabin. My family had gone out and I had just spent the day on this chair looking out onto this amazing river seeing these little baby otters playing Mm. and like ducks and everything and just the most amazing scenery ever. These amazing mountains just like it was paradise to me. And I was just sitting on this chair, and for about 10 hours, I just stayed on that chair. Um, And then I was listening to this artist called Daughter, but then I was also listening to Loads of Sword and Scale, uh, the podcast, which is quite dark, because I like dark things. Especially when
0: you're depressed. Some people don't understand that. They don't know. That, that can be oddly comfort or, or or that it's oddly comforting when you're in that place. Yeah,
1: like and I listen to a lot of dark oh. stuff and watch a lot of dark stuff.
0: But... I, got, I got giddy one time when I saw that there was a documentary by Joy Division when I was oh, God. depressed. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, this will feel like a blanket.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like, yay, someone else is more messed up yes. than me. So go ahead. Um, so basically they all eventually come home. I just wanted to stay there and I was kind of just annoyed that they were there, that they were ruining this thing from me, even though it was all of our holiday. And uh, so my parents were there, my sister and her husband were there, and then I was there. And so we all had dinner and we drank lots. And I just remember I had Hennessy at some point like there was beer, wine, Hennessy. We were playing board games, it was great. And next thing I remember, this is where I go slightly psychotic. Well, at least this is what I call a psychotic break because I don't remember the different parts and I. It felt like I was outside of my body at points. So, I remember that I was sitting in the owner's cabin of, like, there was the people who owned our cabin, like, up Mm. in a bit, and I was sitting with them with a beer in my hand, just talking to them about their son who was in law school, seen missing. Then I was down by the river barefoot. My feet were cut up. I was, like, because of all the rocks and everything, and I was just, I saw a video of Snapchat that I had done which was just me going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Then I remember looking in the mirror and the person in the mirror was cutting circles around my biceps and I was like, that's a bit weird. And then putting on a hoodie and going out and cutting uh, the this line down my arms mm-hmm. and this one, uh, so that's why I have a tattoo here. I've got a big so. uh, forearm tattoo Um so I'd cut a big line around there and a big line around there. And then I went down there and I went all like along my arms and just all along there. And I'd cut really deep in there because I was like, that's how I'm going to get to the artery because it just wasn't making any sense here. Mm-hmm. So I was like really going for it. And I was just like, I was underneath the cabin at this point, And my dad yelled, where are you? And I came up and uh, I... I I was wearing a hoodie. I don't even know where I got the hoodie. And I looked at my arm and it was just red, like the whole hoodie was just bled through. And I was just like, whoa. And then I ran into the bathroom and my mom was like, what are you doing? And I was just like, I'm just going to the bathroom. And I slammed the door and then I looked at the bathroom floor and there was just blood all over the floor. My parents had obviously seen that. I ran into my sister and like, who was asleep and barricaded myself against the door. And I was just holding my arm going, I need to stop this, I need to stop this. And my sister, like, just looked at me and she was like, what did you do? And I was just like, I, I don't, I don't. And then my mom came in and she was so angry and just screaming and like cursing at me and just like throwing things. And I was just like, oh, and I like ran into the shower and I was just in the shower, just like holding the curtain and just wanting to disappear and not understanding what had happened and then my sister came in and she threw up everywhere because she'd been so traumatized with what she had seen. And then...
0: That is a nice bonding sister moment. Though, yeah, it, it kind
1: of made me laugh. Cause yeah. my, my mom was like, look what you've made Circuit K- yes. or Kira do now. Um, she's vomiting in the corner. Um, which I kind of giggled at at the time because I was like, whacked off my mm. face on my various medications and large amounts of alcohol. Um and then my mum asked me, Did I had I written a note, which I hadn't remember I had? I had. It was on my phone. Um and then my mum uh, please said she please tell
0: me your note didn't have emojis.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank God. I never use emojis. I just don't understand them. <laughs> the
0: suicide emojis are so hard to find. You have to scroll it's just so little, far to the right.
1: The yellow yellow face with the X-eyes. It's, it's fine. Um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, it was just a lot of apologizing in that letter. My mom had read it, and then she deleted it because she didn't want me having it. Did and you- then... Go ahead. Uh, then my sister had an emergency kit in her car, so she came down, and because it was in the middle of the night as well, the day before uh, Easter Sunday. Uh, kind of ruined Easter. Mm. And uh, so my sister bandaged me up and put a pressure dressing on it and stuff, because there was no way we were going to get to a hospital. Um, and she kind of assessed it, and was like, oh, well, they're not... Like, one of them is quite deep, but we're not mm. going to be too bad if we keep the pressure dressing on them. So my mum just helped me like I just was felt I had no feeling like it was the numbest I've ever been and I and sorry and are you
0: getting emotional
1: no I just um uh, I thought I heard a burp um so I yeah it was just really numb and my mom helped me take off my clothes and just put me in a nightgown which was hers and she just lay in bed And I think it was the first time that she'd ever said thank you for some of the things I'd done when I was a teenager. She was just, like, rubbing my hair. It was the first time I felt like like a kid, like, even though I was 27. And she was just running her hands through my hair and just going, Thank you so much for taking care of me. I should have taken care of you better. All of that. And I just didn't sleep. And she didn't sleep either. She just kept running her hands through my hair. And then I wasn't allowed by myself at all. Like, nobody would leave me alone. And my parents brought me to the doctors. Thank God we had health insurance. So we went to the A&E in... Oh, that place. um, It's where Twilight Mm -hmm. is. uh, Red Fork? Not Red Fork. Oh, I can't remember. It's the town in Twilight, Mm -hmm. which I always thought was very strange.
0: Let's come back there in in, in a second, because I just want to talk some more about that moment with your... My mom. With your mom. I mean, that's such a heartbreaking but beautiful moment yeah. where your mom finally sees your pain.
1: Yeah, she did. I just, I hated it. I felt so horrible that I... Why couldn't I verbalize it to her? Why couldn't I... But
0: you had been your whole life. I want to see a therapist. Why wasn't
1: that good enough? Like, why did it, it have to come to the point where... I attacked myself. It feels like someone else attacked me, but. Like, it was me. And that's what. Woke her up? Yeah, but it's like she's gone back to sleep again.
0: What is. As you hear yourself say that, what. If you can feel them through the numbness, are there any feelings that come up when you say that your mom is now back to sleep after having that kind of. It, like, beautiful moment where it you makes felt like
1: me kind of um lament it like lament that time that like, what probably four hours that we had where she saw what was going on acknowledged that I had done quite a lot when I was a kid and um, that I shouldn't have had to do and didn't ever question it, and that she maybe was too hard on us at times. Um, so, yeah, I guess, and then her just not, you know, she was angry at me for quite a while for doing what I had done, which is understandable, I think, but also seems to be the go-to emotion. You know, if if you're not happy, then you're angry. Yeah. Um, So Yeah like they They went to America recently And they didn't even ask me to go along Um, Which in fairness like I remember my dad turning to me Like the next morning he goes Well you cut that holiday to an end Didn't you And literally all of us just laughing Even though like I was in bits crying Almost like very slightly Like on the verge of being catatonic And getting stitches
0: We want to bring you But none of the national parks have psych wards
1: Exactly yeah Uh,
0: and would you remember the feeling you had when your mom was stroking your hair? Yeah. If you can think of as many adjectives to describe what it felt like,
1: um, tranquil, uh, cathartic, um, tainted was tainted because I'd messed up. I ruined it. I'd like. I'd love a,
0: a to have to a not have to do that.
1: Yeah, like a moment like that, and not have it be because of such a horrible situation. Um. But it was warm and it was caring and it was. It's like being wrapped in cotton wool again. Or at all. Um. Yeah. No. It was just. It was. Nice. Even though it wasn't.
0: Have you ever thought about talking to your mom about that moment and how. You're shaking your head No.
1: No, yeah, sorry. It's like the the Russians don't mention. Not the Russians, the Germans don't mention the war, you know? So, like, it's it's not talked about the closest to. uh, Because it was a
0: part of something that was so uh, otherwise. Yeah,
1: and also, Ireland, like, we don't do mental health talk. We don't do. You know, my family is going to a counsellor. I remember, like, after it happened, um, my mum was like, oh, well, we're going to have to buy you loads of things with long sleeves now. Like, because what will the neighbours think? What will your work people think? Like, two days after I had done that, I was back working. Wow. Yeah, with, like, my stitches and everything. Just, like, back to work and um like you just get up and go it's not uh, it's not talked about um if you didn't die it's definitely not talked about if you did die it was probably an accident um yeah it's just it's not you know what all the neighbors think yeah yeah yeah
0: so uh i had paused to ask you a few questions about the moment with your mom and now back to um wherever we were I think you picked up by saying that you went your mom got you long sleeves and you went back to work and
1: yeah so I see the job that I was in as well like that I think that was a big factor as well as like everything else I was having panic attacks daily in that job and I was just emotionally degraded by my boss like everybody talked down to me I was screamed at Um, I was hardly getting paid anything and then it was long work hours and I had a relationship that was completely failing as well, like horribly failing. He dumped me on Facebook after two years. Um, So, not so delightful. Um, So, basically going back to that.
0: And this was how long ago? uh, This is... Monday?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Two years now. Two years in March.
0: And you're 29?
1: I'm 29. So, you
0: were 27 then.
1: Yeah. So I was always like, damn it, I didn't join the 27 Club. You know, the 27 yeah, Club? Jim yeah, Jim
0: Morrison, Janis Joplin, Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain,
1: yeah. yeah. We had actually gone through Kurt Bo- Cobain's uh, hometown the day before. Yeah. good times. It's a really dingy town. Um, Aberdeen, Aberdeen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I did that. And basically, I begged my family not to put me into a facility. Facility. Uh, because I was like I'm going to lose my job if I lose my job then I lose my house like you know where I'm renting Mm. I'll lose my life and I'll have to live in Wicklow where I will kill my parents or they'll kill me one of us will just destroy the other and that was just not going to be a thing Um, and I'd have to rebuild everything that I had built so far and they agreed as long as I went to I got a counsellor I went to a support group um, and I went on medication
0: and the so. support group was focusing on uh, people Depression. who survived suicide attempts?
1: Or? No, it was uh, – see, so we don't have much of that kind of thing. Um, so it was an AWARE – it's called AWARE. They're the, the facility that do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a mental illness support group. So mm-hmm. there was everybody from people with bipolar uh, 1 and 2 to schizophrenia to um, – what we call it? Uh, borderline personality and then general depression and mm-hmm. all of that and talking about they didn't you couldn't name the medications you were on, but how you were working through that and and people that had gone to facilities and how they felt that it had worked for them and how they were doing in that day. Like there was a guy that came all the way from Galway to go to it because he liked that specific group. It did work for me for quite a while. I'd also quit alcohol at that point mm-hmm. um because that, well After trying to, I think it was working for you. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What What did you like about the group? Especially if you can think of any moments where um, you felt or you know something or light bulb turned on or.
1: Uh, It was just the first time that I could speak openly about how I was feeling and how difficult. I was having it and without feeling like I was going, oh, woe is me, I'm having such a hard time. Um, everybody was like, oh yeah, no, I've been there. Or, you know, that's where I heard about the CBD um, and like, you know, different types of therapy and then people just being really um, empathetic. Sympathetic, the right yeah. word? Yeah, not sympathetic, that's a bad one. Uh, empathetic about how you were feeling and what you were going through and then just... You know, you always, you said what was going on with you, and then people could give you feedback and, or um, how they perceived what you were saying. Mm-hmm. So you could even get that global vision of yourself. You know, the you might be coming across oh, like an Oh, so asshole. this was
0: DBT, dialectical behavior therapy?
1: Oh, is that, no, this is just a support group. This is oh, just what uh, okay. people would just, you'd say. Oh, okay, because that's, a part, like, that's a, that a, is? a part
0: of, of DBT is ah. what I, underst- what I he- hear you're saying is... Is this and I understand, you know, et cetera, ah. et cetera. So you're kind of validating, letting that person know that you, they exist yeah. and, and you are hearing them.
1: Oh, okay. Cause that yes. yeah, I had, they had been mentioned, they did mention it in the group, yes. but when I said it to my doctor, they had no idea what that was. In fact, when I asked to be on certain medications, um, they, like I said, okay, I need to be on an antidepressant, but I can't be on this one. and I can't be on this one. They did not work. And she took out a book. I was like, what about this one? I was like, you're a doctor.
0: Was she a psychiatrist? No, she was just a doctor. Just an MD? Yeah. Was there there a reason? The psychiatrist
1: didn't give me any help with that either.
0: Why? Because he was an idiot.
1: It was literally the worst experience with him ever. And he seemed like so bored by all of it. and just And I spent... Maybe about a thousand euro going to see him over the time that I did, and then just went. I'm not doing this, and literally all hell broke loose with my family because they were like, "No, you need the help." And I was like, "But you don't understand. It's not helping. In fact, it's putting me under financial strain now." So, yeah. Then I found somebody else, and he was actually really good. But uh, and I and was did seeing, you
0: find the right meds?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's definitely the right meds. If I'm not drinking. <laughs> Like I, no bed is the right med if you 're drinking
0: I, I was just going to say <laughs> i I did that dance for a number of years, and boys at an uphill oh, losing battle
1: it 's the worst like i like I definitely know that I have a problem with alcohol i do um, but it 's just so delicious no i just I find it very difficult to stay away from it because i am I used to be a very social person that dwindled and i've become more introverted than i was but alcohol helps with me being able to see the people i want to see and Mm -hmm. especially when like everything you do here it's like oh do you want to go with me for some chats yeah or will we get pints it's like like the lads had to leave the house or my housemates had to leave the house to let us record in here they've gone to the pub like Mm -hmm. there's nothing else to do like that's all people do and that's why i found that we went to a tea garden before we started recording here really that's where i found that yes Yes. because i was just like i need somewhere to go at nighttime.
0: a place to relax without getting drunk and for a lot of people they don't have a problem with with alcohol but for those of us who do it can be a struggle sometimes to find social settings where we can relax without having to uh, self-medicate.
1: Yeah, exactly. And just, yeah, just finding, what? like, because obviously I'm, I'm in the early stages of trying to not drink. And um, so I'm, what, 16 days, I think I said. Mm-hmm. I have a timer on my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very difficult at the start, I find.
0: So the the thing that is popping into my mind right now is what kind of tools could you develop to cope with the feelings that used to make you and currently make drinking seem uh, like the best choice.
1: Yeah, so that is definitely something that I'm trying to figure out at the moment. Like I've done, as I said, a lot of counseling. I've done the therapy. I've listened to your podcast. That was the Mm -hmm. next thing. After I tried to kill myself, I found your uh, podcast and it was literally like I need to listen to this because maybe I'll find something in it. Um, I found some other ones as well, but oh, um, sex and other un- human activities. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it? I have not. Uh, it's basically just two people. One of them has bipolar, and the other one uh, just has anxiety, and yeah. they just talk. But there's a whole community online with it as well. So, oh, like, nice. I yeah, so I. But they haven't posted a, a thing in a while. But it, basically, people moaning. But it's really cathartic to read, and you can, they're also really supportive people. Mm-hmm. So I do that, but. Um, what yeah so I don't have um I I've stopped drinking but I don't have emotions so it's really hard to figure out what you're feeling when you don't have emotions so that's what I'm waiting to happen I'm waiting for mm-hmm. the alcohol to completely leave my system yes. and then some sort of emotion I'm sure will appear Yeah I my boyfriend does find it very difficult with me because I'll I won't seem I don't think that I'm depressed, as in like I won't seem sad, but there'll be little things that he'll notice and he's like What what happened today? What's going on? And it's like, I don't know. Like and it's really difficult on him trying to help me when I legitimately have no idea how I'm feeling.
0: Isn't that fucked?
1: Yeah, it's really annoying.
0: It's really it's exhausting. I I would hate those moments in and still can in therapy where I don't know what I'm feeling yeah, and I don't know how to put it into words and I'm afraid that I'm going to do it wrong.
1: Yeah. It's just like... It,
0: I just want to sleep in those moments. Yeah. You know?
1: That's like the constant want is sleep. Just, I love sleeping. Yes. Um, it's,
0: it's, it's almost like the only thing I can say in those moments is, I don't know. I just know. I don't want this. Yeah.
1: Exactly. It's like everything's gray and I don't want it to be gray anymore. I would like some yellow, please.
0: Yes. And yellow, I have please. no idea where yellow is or how to get it or if I can even afford it. But exactly. I see other people with yellow and it seems to be working for them. And I'm
1: tired. Yes. I, I do find that as well, that I am very tired all of the time. And I, I've started thinking that, see, I would always say that like I'm, I'm very logical but then I have a horrible, illogical side to me that it's just like, you know, everything is actually going well. You're able to afford your rent. You have a good job. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. But then the illogical part of me is going, yes, but everybody hates you. You're going to lose that job very quickly. You don't actually have enough money. You don't have savings. What's going on? How are you supposed to afford a house? Do you actually want to have kids? What's going on? What is life? And I'm fighting with that every day. And- That's what I'm having trouble with.
0: If you are open to my point of view Mm -hmm. on that, the pattern of thinking that you just described is the pattern of thinking of most alcoholics and addicts. Mm -hmm. And the support group is people sharing about those feelings and exchanging tools and ways to cope with those feelings so that we don't have to self-medicate ourselves and that we can feel a part of something it's it kind of at least for me, that's become my pub, yeah. And I look forward to going to there because I when I leave I'm relaxed, but I'm not going to get in a car accident, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's why that's why I'm such a big proponent of of support groups, yeah. and um, I hope I, I, I I'm not coming across as as bossy or lecturing, but I think this is a great time and your. Life slash recovery for you to um, explore some new avenues of, um, I'm not saying ditch your old friends, but to find some new friends who know what you're feeling, who also don't want to get loaded.
1: Yeah, like definitely. And it, it's definitely something that I've been looking into doing, going Good. to AA and um, just to find that support. Like yeah. I, I do have loads of people around me who would support me if i was comfortable with telling them what was going on mm-hmm. but i am not uh, because it's such a taboo still um, alcoholism
0: in, yeah in alcoholism, Ireland,
1: depression or, or, uh you know that like i'm sorry the scars so, yeah the scars yeah like just it's it's all just it's kind of too much like if somebody like I always have a story about how my arm happened. Like before I had the tattoo, Mm which is slightly covering it now. It's in progress. It'll be better. Um, But I always, I had a story, a non, you know, self-harming story. Mm -hmm. The people would just go, I found when I was quite young, that people will just accept what they want to hear Mm -hmm. about these things. And that's all. You can give them the weirdest story ever. I remember one time I was 14, no I was 16 and I had smashed a mirror at a retreat and just because I was so desperate to self-harm and I had done some little scratches on my arm I was like they're not mm-hmm. going to mark no one's going to notice them I've got a long top we're fine um, and somebody just like grabbed me and I just went ugh like cause it hurt like I had just done it and she was like what's going on and then she like lifted up my sleeve and she went what happened and I was like oh I reached through some brambles and she was like god damn parambles and I was just like well that was easy yeah. so like uh, people don't want to hear yes. the you, bad things
0: you know it it kind of strikes me that there and this is going to be oversimplified but there there are two ways that we can go through life we can go through it trying to shrink our truths to make them palatable for people Or we can find a new group of people who we are not too much for. And the latter has saved my life. And not only that, but it's given me um, the feelings and the peace that I thought was only for other people. And I have the feeling that that is there for you because, you know, I've spent a few hours with you. Um, You're not too much. You're a lovely person to... uh, hang out with
1: thank you you're very kind i don't i I just think maybe more worry that all my past stuff if somebody was to delve slightly into it it kind of emerges into this big cess pit that it's just like uh like i don't know how to
0: if if your support groups are anything like mine you have nothing to worry about. Okay. You have nothing to worry about. Okay. We, we roll in there thinking with this shit that we were going to take to our grave. And we're like, Oh man, <laughs> that, that is nothing compared to some of the things that, w- okay. that we hear yeah. in, in, in support groups. But, um, thank you for sharing, uh, all of that stuff. And thank you for contacting me and, and showing me around Dublin and, um, is there anything else you you, you want to? No,
1: uh, thanks so much for coming, and you know, sorry that recording in your hotel room didn't work out. But thanks for coming all the way out here. You got to meet your boyfriend and his
0: his uh, bandmates. Yeah, exactly. And maybe uh, I'll get to hear some uh, death metal before uh, before I leave.
1: We'll see if they come back walking. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, no, thank you so much, and it's been really lovely meeting you after hearing your voice voice for all these years. It's been absolutely mental, but you're lovely. Thank you.
0: Of Margaret.
1: exactly did i do that well you did
0: <laughs> my gaelic isn't
1: horrible
0: uh, many thanks to to caitlin uh, and an update on her she is still sober still hating herself but it is a uh, a long process and um fuck i've been sober 15 years and i still struggle with self-hatred but let's not go down that rabbit that rabbit hole right now um there are a variety of ways that you can support the podcast if you uh, so choose. Uh, you can do it financially or non-financially. Some ways are really, really simple. Um, but there's a big list of them under the show notes for every uh, episode, or at least starting like uh, six months ago. I think I started putting those there. So if you dig the show and you want to try to give something back, whether it's financial or not, please uh, consider that. And one off the top of my head is subscribe to the show because then the show gets more downloads and you'll be reminded maybe there you'll hear an awesome episode that would have slipped through the cracks if you weren't subscribing all right let's get to some some surveys um i mentioned how uh i've mentioned before how themes kind of appear in the surveys that uh i read on any given week and Procrastinating and to-do lists seem to be uh, one of the one of the things that popped up in a couple of couple of surveys. Um, not this one. This one is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Too Many Guinea Pigs, and she writes, "I went back to the place where my abusive husband took my virginity by mostly force and had sex with my supportive, loving boyfriend. It felt like a huge fuck you to my abuser, and I loved it." Don't worry, my boyfriend was aware and consented to it. Thank you for that. This is an email that I got from um, a guy I met named uh, David. And he wrote, uh, I was just listening to your Ireland episode. And in it, you say, to me, success in life is being able to find the sublimely beautiful and the awful or the mundane Right now, my young daughter is battling cancer. She, my wife, and I are currently away from home for chemo. I can tell you firsthand that finding the sublimely beautiful and the awful and the mundane is what keeps me going despite all the difficulties. It fills my family's days with love and laughter. Also, I just wanted to say thank you. Thanks to your podcast, which has led me back to therapy and meditation, I'm regularly looking for the sublimely beautiful and often finding it. And that includes looking for the good in people while keeping key boundaries. Finally, the other crucial element for me is using fewer words to say more. I think most people consider the most important phrases in human relationship, relationships to be, I love you, I'm sorry, and thank you. I want to put in a plug for, ouch, it conveys that you are hurting without blaming the other person and allows him or her to come to you and say sorry without feeling attacked. After much experimentation and plenty of failure in the past and no doubt in the future, I found this to be my personal path to joy and peace. Thank you so much for your crucial part in it. Much love to you, Paul. David. And then he fucks it up by saying, oh, and this kind of goes without saying, but there is nothing more sublimely beautiful ...than a frosted Pop-Tart. There's nothing more grotesque and unnecessary... ...than putting frosting on a perfectly beautiful toaster pastry. I had one last night. Unfrosted blueberry sent by a kind listener. We can't get them here on the West Coast... This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Hummingbird. He is uh, 19. He uh, is unsure of uh, his sexual preference. He was raised in a moderately dysfunctional environment. I've ever been the victim of sexual abuse. Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I vaguely have some memories of making out with an older female cousin of mine, though I'm not sure if it was a dream or I manufactured it. Uh, He's been physically and emotionally abused. I used to have an old girlfriend when I was younger. She would hit me if I ever did anything wrong. Any positive experiences with people who abused you? I used to be madly in love with her. I felt as if I could tell her anything and she would never judge me. Uh, Darkest thoughts. I think about killing myself after giving my virginity to the person I love. Uh, Darkest secrets. I masturbate to rather, quote, distasteful but not illegal porn. Wouldn't that be all porn? I mean, isn't that the purpose of porn? You know, they all might have different website names, but it's all, you know, essentially what it is, is is it's a place that you are going and gambling that you're going to get off without your computer getting a virus. I think they should should get creative with the names of porn sites. You think you hate yourself now? Intimacy killer. A eulogy for your marriage. I can't think of any more. I do have to say, and I don't want to sound like an old fucker, but... Pornography has changed since I was a teenager. Well, for one, they're not taking it with Civil War cameras anymore. It's honestly like the things that were quote-unquote dirty and graphic to me now could be somebody's profile picture on a website. I'm not saying on like Facebook or something like that, but... um, I don't know, it's interesting. Anyway, continuing, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Uh, intentionally breeding my partner. I feel that that makes me nervous, strange seeing it in writing. I wonder what he means though by intentionally breeding, meaning him getting her or uh him getting her pregnant or him pairing her with someone else and that person getting her pregnant or cloning her and having a three-way. If there is a really mediocre porn producer, actually, are there any other kind, uh, take that idea and run with it. That uh, a really narcissistic person clones themselves so that they can watch themselves in the three-way and they can suck their own dick. I like how I made it a guy. Um... What if anything would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I don't really have anything like that. What if anything do you wish for? To not be in the cliche tortured artist, to not be the cliche tortured artist my counselor says I am. If your counselor put it that bluntly, you have a shitty counselor. But if you are turning your counselor saying that you have demons and it feeds your art, I think that's okay. But if you're Counselor is calling you a cliche of a tortured artist. I would find another another counselor. Um, have you shared these things with others? No, I don't tend to tell other people other than my counselor about my inner term- turmoil. Uh, how do you feel after writing these things down? I don't feel light. I feel heavier with anxiety that someone I know might magically read this and use it against me. That, to me, is like how fear of intimacy... Um one of the ways it presents itself, because uh, I relate to that. I relate to that. And I have to say, um, as as I have been in my support groups and all that other stuff and therapy and developed close relationships with trusted people, um, that feeling gets less and less. Um, is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Coming from me, it would be very depressing, or at the very least, sarcastically humorous. Thank you for sharing that. This is a happy moment filled out by everything is almost fine. And she writes I've been in a fairly deep depressive episode for the last few months. Yesterday, I had enough energy to do laundry, namely wash my sheets and wrestle my comforter back into a duvet cover. Today, I'm back in bed, but instead of beating myself up about how this illness makes me feel lazy and worthless, I'm in clean sheets, and I could be proud of the little step I made yesterday. Sometimes, happy moments are the tiniest things that help the storm start to pass. Could not agree more, and um, I feel the same way. Sometimes, that's the only thing I did, and when I lay down at night, just smelling The fabric softener and just a little hint of bleach. And then the lasagna on my my pillow. I wanted to say pillow, but I said potato. Started to say potato. It is a little late here. It is 11.15 at night. And I should probably have waited to uh, record this tomorrow morning. But my schedule's been a little nutty lately. Uh, This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Zuzu. And she's straight in her 30s, was raised, hold on, let's find out if she was raised in a perfectly safe environment. No, a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, She writes some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Lots of covert incestuous behavior from both of my parents. It hurts to think about. When they looked Inside, they saw my rotten core. I feel like that is the only thing that makes sense about all the fucked up weird inappropriateness and why they must have hated me so much. Perhaps when they looked inside of me, they saw their own rotten core and felt scared of me, so needed to exploit and shut me up. Um, she's been emotionally and physically abused. Uh, never physically hurt beyond the random slap or push. Um, That's still physical abuse. Although I would have rather been spanked every day than have them stare into my vagina and mouth for what felt like hours and then talk about it for more hours. I fucking feel like I'm perpetually perpetually spread eagle, even as I walk down the street, it feels as though strangers can see inside of me. I always feel like I am being watched and judged, that I am nasty, dirty, bad, vile, and just wrong. I almost wish I could find some horrible secret about what I come from for it to all make sense. I want to be the brother and sister. I want thee to be brother and sister. Oh, I want them to be brother and sister and that would make more sense to me is why they were so icky with me. That um, invasion of your body um, because I assume that you mean they were literally um, examining you uh, in a way that was violating and Uh, That is way more than some stuff happened and I don't know if it counts. That's like child protective services would remove you from the home. Um, Any positive experiences with the abusers? Yes, they taught me many things. They were both products of bad abuse, yet it complicates things because I feel sorry for their inner child, but I just can't have more compassion for them than is healthy for me. That, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to read that is what that last sentence that you said, because that to me is where healing begins, is where we put aside whatever the reasons were that they did it. And we feel that pain that we have tried to ignore. And we mourn the innocence that was lost and let the anger come up Let the sadness come up, cry, you know, um, scream, Uh, hopefully, you know, not in line at the grocery store, but if it has to be, so be it. Because until I could do those things, I couldn't feel any sort of closure with the things that happened to me. And I don't know if it ever, if there's ever total closure Because there's always going to be scars and things left in the wake of it, but where it doesn't own you, you know, processing it can get to a place where you feel like it doesn't own you. Um, Darkest thoughts. I am ashamed to admit that I don't think I I believe in anything. I just feel like life is so unfair to so many. There is no rhyme or reason. If there is a spiritual dimension, then that is one of the more protective. For, that is one more protective force for me to hate. I hate both of my parents. I still see and talk to them a few times per year, but I do hate them both. I hope through healing I can stop and just turn my angry hate towards more compassion for myself, without also becoming narcissistic. I also, th- I think about terrible abuse all the time. I am never the abuser, but I think about bad, horrible things happening to kids and sometimes adults. I don't want these things to happen, but I think I rethink about it again and again to try and desensitize myself from any more shock. Darkest secrets. I don't know anymore. I just feel like a dark pervert deep down. I was born a flower and they poured poison all over me so many times, I have now Grown all crooked and I may, I may still look like a flower, but if you get too close, you will see I have thick prickly fur on my leaves and my nectar smells like rotten death. Wow, that is heavy. And not surprisingly, given how fucked up the things are that happened to you, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Being raped, degraded, having a train run on me. I want to feel physical pain to match how I feel inside. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I hate you. I hope you suffer. I feel sorry for you. What, if anything, do you wish for? Peace of mind, presence in the world naturally, and to not feel guilty for hating my abusers or feeling like I have to fix and forgive them. You know, and that to me, is part of the grooming process is that we we are groomed to not want to hate them, coupled with the fact that there's something genetically in us that was elemental to our survival as as you know as people to want to stay with the herd despite terrible circumstances. And I'm just going to take a wild guess that you, that your, the manipulation of your emotions by your parents went on outside of sexual events. And that's, to me, one of the biggest mind fucks is because it's this back and forth war in our head of, am I making too big of a deal of it? Am I not healing fast enough? Am I healing the wrong way? Uh, Am I throwing them under the bus? Uh, Blah, 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 blah. And that's, that's the cacophony that so many of us just have bouncing around in our skulls for years after we begin to address how fucked up the things were that happened to us. So you are not alone in in feeling that. That is so common for someone who has experienced something like you have. Have you shared these things with others? Yes. The details were too much for many friends or others. Only my therapist seems to be okay with it. But I do feel as though I am weighing them down. Some people are not going to be able to handle that. You know, some people's emotional conversation threshold is very, very light. Um, But there are a lot of people who can handle that because they understand. How do you feel after writing these things down? A little lighter. Getting it out makes the anxiety better. Oh God, I need to go take a clonopin now. My mind has found a new fear to obsess over for the minute or day. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? You aren't bad. You didn't do anything wrong. You were a kid. Life may be unfair, but that doesn't mean it's okay for someone to hurt someone else, let alone their kids. Any comments to make the podcast better? I want to hear more covert incest stories with specific instances and situations. Not to trigger or be sensational, but for me, the little things they did were so innocuous, I didn't realize they were abuse. It has helped me to hear each and every story on this show about her, about how parents are inappropriate. Um, thank you. And that is good to hear because I oftentimes... If somebody opens up to me, I want to know more about what it was that they experienced, because A, I want to feel less alone. Um, B, I'm curious. and C, I want to speak out about this because it is it's rampant, and it doesn't get talked about, especially when the abuser is the mother and um your you're as painful as your survey was to read it it helped me feel less alone and um uh, i can put you in touch with a, a support group uh if you if you contact me uh, anybody who has ever experienced covert incest by a female caregiver um that, uh, and that's not to minimize those who have experienced covert incest by a male caregiver. It's just this group, the focus is on, is on that because that tends to be much, much more under the radar and mothers tend to, uh, when they do that, uh, they, they do exploit a child covertly. They tend to um, camouflage it. In access to their children's bodies and disguise it in ways the children don't realize is inappropriate but something in their spidey sense tells them this doesn't feel right this feels weird I feel like I'm being tricked and that essentially is the story of a lot of stuff that happened to me um, in my childhood with with my mom Um, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by Hespa and She writes, Last weekend, I was in the car traveling to the Yorkshire Dales. It suddenly clicked with me. I had planned my suicide early that year after a family holiday. It was supposed to happen last month. I was going to give my family the best memories I could and then leave. I thought to myself, holy shit, I'm alive. See, sometimes procrastination can be a good thing. I'm glad you're still here. Glad you're still here. And then finally, this is a happy moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Chadwick Rolland. And uh, he writes, This is a weird one. I've been away from the podcast for a while. I've had a really hard summer between life and therapy. My whole core has been rattled in some very challenging ways. I decided to get back to the things that I know give me perspective, and this show has been one at times, so it's back in my queue. I'm listening to the Social Anxiety with Dr. Ellen Hendrickson episode, and the shame and secret survey from the, quote, genius procrastinator uh, was like a mirror of my life. Though I'm not an Ivy League fancy-pants scientist, I was the high-level jock who played the part to survive Because being the nerd never suited my look. There were all these expectations put on what I should be rather than what I wanted to be. And over time, I've tried to fit that box. When I really love space and writing and nature, simply complex things with endless possibilities. Yet when you're black, 6'3", 220 pounds with fast twitch muscle, the world expects certain things and you're put into a box. She wrote things that have always been in my own head. She wrote my days, my feelings, my lost sense of self as I'm getting to a point where I must face some realities of who I am, what life is, and how to process that and find some semblance of enjoyment as there's nothing left to achieve on my list. I have no point B anymore. I had these goals and aspirations, hopes and dreams that would make me happy, but I bought a house. I got a nice car. I keep dating interesting and beautiful women and yet still feel like there's nothing in this world for me or what i even want from this life but as i listened i couldn't help but start smiling feeling comforted so my happy moment is listening to a stranger whose name i will never know explain word by word that i'm not alone and there is at least one other person who's just like me making my world seem a little less gray today i guess in my own fucked up codependent way, LOL. So to the genius procrastinator, that was the pseudonym they used when they filled out the survey, who might be listening to this, if it gets read, hi, I'm the underachieving procrastinator and for what it's worth, just anonymously sharing who you really are made my day a little easier to deal with as I'm not dealing with this nonsense alone today. And thank you for sharing. Love it. Love it. You know, as I say often, the people who fill out the surveys are as important as the guests on on this show. And um, I'm so grateful to those of you that take the surveys and pour, pour your hearts out into them. And I wish there was enough airtime to read all of them. Um, but... I don't have the energy to, to read all of them, and um, but thank you so much for, for that. And I hope to anybody who listened to today's episode that you, you felt what he felt, which is a sense of belonging, uh, maybe a rekindling of hope, or just a change of attitude in a, in a better direction. Um, and just remember that you're not alone. And thanks for
1: listening.